Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, the other, there'll be some other folks drift in. I guess they're still having their meeting back there. I told them I needed to leave. I was getting nervous because I didn't want to make people wait like we did last week. So we're going to go ahead and get started. We're going to finish up the teaching uh, that we've been on, talking about the spirit-led life. Um, I've got to tell you, tell you, and I don't think I need to tell you all because you all have been the faithful ones. But um, if you know someone that does not understand the concepts that we've been teaching over the past several weeks, get them. Get them to obtain the podcasts. I have the notes I will make available. I'm not going to put those on the web because I'm, I don't want to end up, I don't want to be liable for, for uh, not having the right version references and all that citations and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I will give those to you if you ask for them. I'm happy to give those to you. Nothing's proprietary here. It's all the word of God to, and to the best of my ability to apply myself to it. And, um, so I give the glory and honor to him. It's his knowledge. It's his word. It's his spirit that is bringing this forth. But I can't tell you how important what we're learning about right here. It's not taught in church in general. Spiritology. The subject matter of the spirit, how to live a spirit-led life, the practicality of hearing the inner voice, identifying the inner voice. You don't hear this as a general teaching, you know, year in, year out in the common church. Because what it is, is it's teaching about subject matters that don't pertain to the soul, that aren't limited by the soul. And the soul, like we've talked about, is so oftentimes the depth of the experience of the Christian life in so many churches. And we know that that ain't very deep. You know, and uh, so we're, gonna, we're going to go ahead and finish this up. Um, this will be week six, right, Kalen? Yeah, since I've started anyway, uh, building a, a foundation here. And so I'm going to, let's just pray and we'll get into it. Father... Thank you for life, Father God, that we enjoy, for filling our lungs with the air that you created for physical life. Thank you, Father, for the ability to understand, Father, and to grow intellectually. But thank you first and foremost, O oh God, and that's where we've come to in this process of these weeks to learn about the spirit, that we are spirit first. We have a soul. We live in a body. We thank you, Father, for the life of the spirit, we thank you for leadership by the Spirit. We thank you, Father, that we're created after your likeness, who is Spirit. And we just invite the Holy Spirit, who is resident in our temple, to lead us into truth and knowledge tonight. Thank you for opening up our eyes of understanding, for opening up our ears, O oh God, to receive your word tonight. And I just ask that you would give all the glory, get all the glory, all the honor, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what we talked about, um, you'll recall, we got into some real practical, nitty-gritty things with regard to hearing the inner voice last week. You know, we've talked about the conscience. The conscience is the voice of the Spirit. Predominantly, that's the way the Holy Ghost is going to lead you. That's the way you're going to be led in this Spirit-led life is through the voice of your inner man. It's through that channel of the conscience. And we talked about that coming from a Greek word, really meaning co-perception. Conscience is really a co-perception. So it's a, it's, it's a perception by two different witnesses. 
the witness of your spirit and the witness of the Holy Ghost in your spirit, co-witnessing, corroborating in testimony. Okay, that's, that's, that's really how the conscience, the channel of the conscience is going to work in terms of what you receive to be led by the Spirit of God. And we talked about being led. The keys to being led is that you have to be able to identify the co-witness. You have to be able to identify it. It's not enough to know that the co-witness is how you're going to be led, but you've got to be able to identify it. What is the co-witness? And we talked about an example of a car accident out here, and we talked about how if you have four and five, six people that saw that car accident and they all step forth to present testimony, that if they that the more testimony that is presented along the same lines, the more it corroborates and substantiates the story. Y'all see what I'm saying? It's corroboration, co-witnessing. And that really, that that is a great example of exactly how this inner knowing works. It's how you're led. You're led by a co-witness of the Holy Spirit with your spirit, much the same way that you see a co-witnessing lending a corroboration to the testimony. So um, we talked about several things along those lines, and that identifying the witness is looking for the knowing inside, looking for the seeming, learning to acknowledge your seamer. Do you all remember that? And I know that sounded kind of almost parabolic, I mean, in terms of like seeming. What do you mean looking for the knowing? I'm identifying the witness by looking for the knowing. It's what seems. Well, you know, we, I, I gave you a good example of that. If you look at, at Luke chapter 1, the entire gospel or witness of which there were four witnesses in terms of gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, thank God for all four of the gospel witnesses, each individual voice, each an individual voice, each corroborating the same testimony of Christ. Different perspectives, but the same word, folks, corroboration, co-witnessing, hallelujah. But even the gospel, uh, uh, wonderful Dr. Luke, set forth hand to pen to write, that testimony, the gospel of Luke, based on a seems good. And that's what that said there. So in other words, he, it's based on the inward witness, based on the inward knowing, based on something seeming right to do. In other words, it was a co-witness inside of him. And you see that in verse 3 where it says, it's, you know, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. There Dr. Luke is saying in this letter, it seemed good to me to write the account that you're about to read. It did, he didn't say you'd have to add it to the verse. He didn't say, and God showed up in manifest form and issued an edict to set hand to pen and write this gospel of count. No, he wrote that whole gospel account based on it seeming good to do so. That seeming good is he identified the inward witness to do this. Okay, and then we talked about, you know, Hebrews ten sixteen about, you know, this is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says, Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. And I'm going over this again because these are critical issues. These are critical steps or Concepts to be able to understand and grasp how you are going to be led day in, day out. Folks, we don't receive the, the audible voice of God very often in our lives, if at all. I've never heard the audible voice of God with these ears ever in my whole life. I wish he would speak to me like that. I wish I would be like Jacob and see the things that he saw physically. 
I wish I could be, you know, like Moses and hear the voice of God, you know, take the sandals from off thy feet. I mean, I wish I could see, hear God like that, you know, from us. But a lot of that wishing and hoping is all soul. Because the, the just shall live by faith. That's how we're going to live. It's going to be a faith walk. Because we don't hear with these senses. We don't perceive and relate to God through these senses. Okay. So they've got to come another avenue or through another avenue. And they come by way of your spirit. And predominantly it comes by way of the conscience or the inward witness, the inner voice. And it's a still small voice. It's not a, a voice that, you know, cries out loud above all the other things that you have going on soulishly and certainly fleshly. Okay. And we talked about, you know, the process of the conscience, you know, being the new nature of the inner man, nudging or inspiring the mind. That's the process that we're talking about here. That's the process of the law that's been put in your heart and written on your minds. I feel like what that scripture is talking about is, is that there is a divine emplacement of the nature of God inside of you that's given as a gift, but then it has to work through that perspective to be written to your soul. Does that make sense? It says, I will put the law in their hearts and write it on their minds. Writing means a, a avenue or expression of knowledge and understanding. See, you don't get the knowledge and understanding of the things of the Spirit through this only it comes by way of your spirit to your soul so it comes by way of what has been deposited here that then illuminates and writes it upon your mind that's what that scripture is talking about but that process of that inward moving from your spirit that inward uh, uh inspiration from your spirit to your mind that process is is the working of your conscience to me it's a description of the, the order and the path and the way that your conscience works. It's the inner man nudging or inspiring the mind. And to receive and to be led by the Spirit day in, day out, you know, through that still small voice, through that inward knowing and that nudging, you need to understand that process. And the thing is, you, it, you've got to subject to, to, you've got to subject your soul to your spirit. That's what it comes down to. And if you're not willing to be active in the process of constantly putting your soul in subjection to your spirit, then you will not walk in the spirit. It just will not happen. It just will not happen. And we learned about that over in Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what that flesh desires. Well, let's turn it around. Those that set their mind on what the flesh desires live according to the flesh. You can turn it around. It's just as true as it is the, the first time. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Let's turn that around. Set your mind on what the Spirit desires and you'll live by the Spirit. Y'all see what I'm saying there? That's as simple as I can, as, as I can relate it by the Holy Spirit here tonight. It's so important. If you don't understand this process, you will not be able to walk by the Spirit. If you cannot, so if you do not, by an act of your will, submit your soul to the Spirit, you won't walk by it. And so you can judge the degree to which you walk by the Spirit by how much you see this going on in your life. Just as simple as that. 
what do you have your mind set on? Is it set on the flesh and its desires, or is it set on the spirit and its desires? And and depending upon that balance or or disproportion one to the other, it will depend on how much of whether the flesh or the spirit is manifest in your life. I'm talking to myself and teaching myself here right along with y'all folks. I'm not speaking from from an ivory tower here of accomplishment. It's just a simple truth, though. We're learning in this together. And then we talked about how we've got to come to the place. We've, we can't, we've we got to come to the place, we've got to realize we cannot obtain the things of the Spirit by the mind, folks. It's not mind over matter. And that's what so much of psychology and that's what so much of the natural world and, and the university and everything that you can do to pursue man's knowledge will lead you to. It's always mind over matter. Oh, no, it's not always mind over matter. It's always, it should be spirit over mind. It should be an act of your will submitting yourself to who you are, spirit first. I have a soul, I live in a body. And you know, it's not enough in my confession that I often lead you all in to just say I'm made in the image of my father. It's you're made in the image of your heavenly father who is spirit. So I'm going to adjust my confession that I have you all lead it, uh, that I lead you all in. We're made in the image of our heavenly Father, who is Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and truth. That's Jesus talking about the Father. He's a Spirit. We relate to Him in Spirit. And you remember in verse seven, it says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It's actually divided against Him, and it does not submit to His law, nor can it do so. So if you're going to limit your experience in life, I'm going to say this again and again and again and again. I'm going to beat this horse right on down into China. If, if the experience of your life is going to be, as far as God's concerned, is going to be limited to what you understand, you'll never walk by the Spirit. It'll never happen. What we're talking about here, will, it's, it, will be of, it, it will be of no count for you. Why can I say that? Because the verse 7 in Romans chapter 8, 7 is the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Y'all see what I'm saying? Man, I can't say that enough now. That's so important. So we're going to move on down here. So now let's talk about the process of being led by the Spirit a little bit. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and we're going to take off from here and really get into some detail. The process of being led by the Spirit, it characterizes the children of God. How many of us are children of God tonight? Then what we're talking about here should characterize our lives. It should characterize our lives. Listen to what Romans 8, 14 says, and we've read this scripture before. Romans chapter 8 is, happens to be about one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I, I, I've got, I, I think I grew more... From a, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, from that chapter alone, what, what revelations got that chapter alone than I have over many other chapters? Hebrews probably be next after that. But Hebrews 8 is a one, or a, Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter to spend time in meditation, particularly for new Christians. Listen to what it says in verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you all said you're children of God. You raised your hand when I asked that question. So what should characterize your life? Being led by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. That's what should characterize our life. And so I have to ask the question, is it characterizing our lives? 
Being led by the Spirit of God. That's what we're talking about, being led by the Spirit. It doesn't characterize our lives. Ask yourself that question. It's a rhetorical question. I don't have you answer. I don't need your answers. Listen to what this said. The word led here, as many as are led, as many as are led, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, L-E-D, the word led here comes from the original language that means, listen closely, to move, impel, of forces and influences affecting the mind. Isn't that interesting? What have we just talked about in regard to, to things that we started out with here? Particularly that, that uh, scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 16. I will, I will make this, uh, this covenant I'll make with them. I'll put my laws in their hearts, write them on their minds. Remember, the process of conscience is that, that inward process of the inner man and the knowledge and the kingdom of God therein nudging the mind. Isn't it interesting here? As many as are led by the Spirit of God. That word led actually comes from the Greek word or the original language that means to move in pale. It means of forces and influences affecting the mind. It's the same thing there too, folks. So as many as are led by the Spirit of God. So here we see the Spirit of God's Leadership, we see it characterized here just as it was over in Hebrews 10, that the process of being led by the Spirit is this inward process of the inner man because your inner man is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's resident there. And Jesus said when he comes, he's going to come to, uh, to reside in you. He's going to be your comforter, but, comforter, but he's going to lead you in truth and knowledge. He's a leader. The Holy Ghost is. Hallelujah. He's a leader. He's there to lead us. He's there to lead us into the mind, the very mind and purpose of God. I mean, that's exactly what uh, Paul says. He says that who knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man within him. So to the thoughts of God. Well, the spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. Guess who you have inside of you? The spirit of God. And if you have the spirit of God, then you have the mind of Christ. That's what he goes on to say. That's the Greg version, the shortened version. But we have the mind, we have the ability to have the very thoughts, the very knowledge of God, because the one who knows those thoughts is right here. Hallelujah. Now we just have to learn how to be led, how to be inspired by that mind and that thought, those thoughts, hallelujah, that are higher than our ways. Praise the Lord. Okay, so that word led is to move, it's to impel. It was relating to the forces and influences affecting the mind. So that process of being led by the Spirit of God because you're a child of God is a process of that inward man, the Holy Ghost inside of you working through your inward man to nudge and get your mind inspired to come into agreement and alignment and, and move according to that. To read, and guess what it is? It's Romans 12 too, renewing your mind. It's renewing it. It's making it new to the thing of God. You see what I'm saying? Romans 12, 2, do not conform, but be transformed to the, by the renewing of your mind. That's what we have to have happen. You know, and like I said, it sounds very much like Hebrews 10, 16, and it is. It's that process of the inner law of the heart, nudging or inspiring the mind toward the knowledge of God's kingdom principles. Okay, You know, and here's the simple truth of it, folks. We need to and should desire to grow past the experience of the flesh and the limited avenue of the soul and walk in the spirit. 
That's it. We, we, should, we should want that. Why? Because it characterizes who we are as children of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're children of God. Well, I turn that around. As many as are children of God, they're led by the Spirit of God. Yeah, that's what that scripture says. Going and coming. Okay, so since your conscience is the primary channel through which the Holy Ghost will lead you, it's important to understand what affects it. So we need to talk about, you know, I've used an analogy of fine-tuning, of t- like tuning a TV channel or a radio channel. So you need to understand what the potential static should be in that channel that you want to avoid, that you need to be able to tune past. Or really, you could use the term clutter. You know, what can clutter up the conscience? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it was toward the end, and I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about this. You know, Paul, this just, this just sets forth a little foundation in Scripture here about the importance of this. Why is this important? Listen to what Paul says. In Acts 23.1, he says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Is there something important here that about the conscience from Paul's perspective? Oh, yeah, there is. He's setting forth that he has lived in a clear perspective of conscience between you between men and god there's something important about this listen to what acts 24 16 says so i strive always to keep my conscience clear before god and men before god and men listen to what paul says in acts i strive always to keep it clear well why do we strive always to keep the conscience clear why I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Why? What have we been talking about? It's the primary channel. It's the avenue through which you're going to be led by the Spirit of God. That's the primary channel that you're receiving from the inward man is your conscience. And if it's not clear, guess what? It's cluttered up. It's got, it's hard to find things in a cluttered room. It's hard to find that tool in a, in a toolbox that is full of all kinds of tools that, that are disorganized. It's hard to go into a garage and lay your hand on that, that, that piece of equipment that you need when you've got thousands of pieces of equipment in there and they're just variously scattered about. Clutter. Clutter. Your conscience can be cluttered and it will hinder your ability to hear. It will hinder your ability to hear. So clutter in your conscience, it keeps you from clearly resolving that inner voice. It keeps you from clearly resolving and being able to tune into that leadership and counsel of God through your spirit. So what is it that can clutter your conscience? And we could sit here all night talking about things that clutter it. And, you know, Lisa came up a couple weeks ago. We talked about something that I didn't bring up. There is a ton of things that can clutter your conscience. One of them is unforgiveness. How important is it to forgive? Well, it's as important as you being forgiven. We could start there first. That's pretty important. Well, that's what Jesus, that ain't my words, that's what Jesus said. Amen? Okay, so we're not talking a lesson about, or teaching a lesson about unforgiveness here, so I'm not going to go there. But let's just suffice it to say unforgiveness is extremely important. But let me tell you what, if you're willing to continue hanging on to those things, it'll clutter your conscience. It'll clutter Put static in your conscience, in your ability to hear. Procrastination, putting things off. Continuing to say that tomorrow I'll do it. Not being active or or proactive. 
You know, we talked about the posture of being open or the ability to be being available, you know, is, is from a Hebrew perspective, the word listen actually, actually in the old language in, in, from, uh, Hebraic language actually me, implies not just hearing the message, but being ready to act even before the full message is received. That's open. That's being available. But let me tell you what, if you're a person that keeps putting stuff off, if you're a person that has a mindset that doesn't want to act, you know, you're a procrastinator, that's not being open. That's not being in a position of availability to, to respond to the voice and inner nudging of the Holy Ghost inside of you. And guess what? It'll clutter your conscience. It'll, it'll, it'll include the ability for you to hear that, that inner voice. Guilt is another clutter. Do you walk around in a cloud of guilt all the time? That'll clutter your conscience big time. The Bible says that, you know, we need to be able to approach the throne of grace boldly. Hallelujah. Because it, when are we ever going to come to the place that we ever accept the fact that Jesus' blood was good enough? Now, I'm not going to, I can't get off and preach on that. But come on now, we need to understand, we need to come to the place that either Jesus' blood was good enough or it ain't. Amen. And I got to tell you right now, man, my father ain't into to, to, to giving substandard sacrifices. He's not into giving half-baked gifts. When he gave the, his only begotten son, he gave him once and for all, hallelujah, to be the eternal propitiation for our sins, hallelujah, and our justification and our righteousness, Glory to God. And it all comes by way of his grace and not anything you earn. Guilt is something that'll... So get out from underneath that. You want to talk about a chapter to spend some time in? Spend it in Romans chapters 6 through 8. Spend it in there if you're struggling with guilt. Spend some time meditating in there. Unfulfilled promises or commitments, that's a clutter. That's a static. If you're constantly committing and telling people you're going to do things and you don't follow through, you're worried, you're lying. <laughs> All of us are guilty of this. Do everything that you can to keep your word pure. If you tell somebody something, do it. And the Bible even talks about swearing to your own hurt. You know, I mean, if it hurts you, you still got to do it. <laughs> I mean, you committed to it by your word. Why am I saying this? Because we're created in the image of God and our creative instrument is our mouth. And what we do is we dilute and we denude and we abase that creative ability by letting all the crud flow through it. Things that don't mean or count anything for anything. Most importantly, lies, things that we commit or we promise don't ever follow through. That'll clutter your conscience. How can I tell you that? This is a practical thing because what will happen is, is in the process of your walking with God the best you can, things will come back to you. You got anything coming back to you about somebody in particular? Yeah, that's the Holy Ghost. Guess what he does? He, leads, he brings back to your remembrance. Things you've learned, but he also brings back to remembrance things you committed to. He wants you to be, he wants, he wants your word to be pure like the Father. You know, hallelujah. Fear, that's where we're getting to, Miss Lisa. We, we, she came and talked to me about that. It's a very good one. It's an excellent one. Fear will clutter your conscience big time. 
It'll be static like you can't believe. If you walk around, I mean, the Bible says in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. It doesn't say, you know, 95% of your time, you don't have to be anxious, but there's that 5% because grandma always did. Well, you know, you all have heard that, you know. I mean, that used to be grandma's right, right? When they became grandma's is to worry. Anybody have grandma's that said that? Well, it's my right to worry, honey. I just worry so about you. Well, stop worrying, grandma. No, fear, fear is a, is a serious one. Guess what? It will paralyze you. It will, it, it will cause you to sit idle and not allow the gift of God to be brought forth through you. Because guess what? You're concerned about the other's opinions. You're concerned that maybe yours isn't as good as someone else's offerings. I mean, just insert blank and write it in. Whatever it is, you know. But that'll clutter your conscience. If you, it'll be so much static. It can be so loud. You can't even hear that inner voice because of that anxiety. That's very important. Okay. So one of the greatest effects on your conscience, though, is this. It's turning a deaf ear to it. If you continue ignoring your conscience, if you continue turning that deaf ear, if you continue ignoring that inner prompting, that seeming, that gut leading, It'll dull the inner channel. It'll make it resistant to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I cannot emphasize this enough, folks. Those promptings, that thing that's in you that just, when you get quiet, it keeps coming back to you. Don't turn a deaf ear to that. Respond to it. The more you keep keep turning a deaf ear to that, you are repressing the inward witness. You're repressing and you're capping and you're including the inner voice. And you're, you're dulling it. You're dulling your conscience. You know, and I talked about that very simplistic thing for, you know, uh, I, I talk about this with teenagers, but it applies to all of us. I mean, you're, you're watching a movie and the whole time you're ignoring that ill feeling in your gut that's telling you to stop watching what you're watching, but you continue feeding on it. I know that's a very simplistic and very immature thing, but you know, it's, it, nonetheless, I think it conveys the, the point. But what about a little higher level things like talking about people? or things going on at the church and ignoring that prompting inside of you that's telling you stop doing that. Whatever it might be. I'm just, I'm just giving out fun. Am I putting the rubber on the road, folks? The reason why I'm telling you this is because these are all things I've done. <laughs> rubber hits the road, brother. That's right, because these are all things that I've done. So maybe you all don't do these, but, and you can't relate to them, but this is what I've done, so... Relational-based issues wreak havoc on our ability to hear. 2 Corinthians 1.12, listen to what this says. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. It's very important, relationship and how you're conducting yourself in relationships and and the problems that come as a result of that can wreak havoc on your conscience. Relational issues. Okay, so let me just give you some, for the next little bit that I've got, practical perspectives. These are Greg's practical perspectives, okay, of being led. Here's, uh, so if you haven't listened to anything, if we'll tune in right now, okay, I'm going to give you the practical perspectives and practical things. Practical means you put it in, things you can put into, into practice, things you can do, not theory, 
Okay, I'm talking about things. Okay, so if we're going to be led, what we have to do is get our spirit and soul to work together. And a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, you said that they're separate and we got to put spirit first. Yeah, you do, but that doesn't mean that you that they're mutually exclusive and you, and you don't involve them together. They are involved together in the process, folks. It's just getting the order right and then having the submission of your soul to your spirit and then being able to hear that inner voice and following it, okay? But how do you do that? How can you get your spirit and soul to work together so let me give you a first practical lesson, number one. Pray in the Spirit until your mind begins to quiet down. Pray in the Spirit until your mind... These are practical things. These are things that you can do, and I'm not telling you anything that I haven't done and proved out in my life. Pray in the Spirit until your mind quiets down. Folks, if we know that the soul is not going to obtain the life of God, because it can't submit to the law. I mean, it won't receive the law, nor can it submit to it. Right? Because it can't do it in and of itself. You have to, by an act of your will, submit it to the Spirit. Remember that in Romans 8? If that's the case, then if you got a whole bunch of stuff going on and you find yourself in a place of anxiety, fear, you find yourself in a place of challenge soulishly, guess what? You need to get this turned off. You need to get this voice to shut up for a while so you can hear the inner voice. But so you want to get them together. How do you do that? Pray in the Spirit until you get your mind to quiet down. And you, folks, there's no way to do this except learn by doing. There's no way to, there's no way to understand this till you do it. And so what you do is you get in that car as you go to work and you pray in the Spirit. And you don't stop. You get in that closet. You go outside for that walk and you pray in the spirit until you can get your mind to begin to quiet. Till that voice gets to the place that it begins to fade to black. Okay. And the more you do this, you know, you'll find that you'll, you'll, you'll more quickly reach the groove. Okay. You'll fall into the groove, but it may take 45 minutes. It may take an hour. I mean, I know a minister that I have a tremendous respect for, a faith minister that said that when he, you know, for, for quite a while at first, it would take upwards of an hour to get his mind quiet of praying in the Spirit. Because what happens is your mind's just wandering. And boy, when it's vexed with anxiety, vexed with a problem, vexed with issues, man, it is just rolling, it's rolling, it's rolling, it's rolling. It demands attention. What is it? Squeaky wheel always gets the grease. It's the squeaky wheel. Well, you need to get grease on that, and it's the oil of the Holy Ghost. That's the oil. And that will shut that squeak down. You have, but the thing is, there's no way you can do this in a snap of the finger. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Take the time to pray in the Spirit. And so here's the bottom line, folks. Why do we try to do this without the Holy Spirit's power? Because you can't. But yet we have so many people that want to try to walk on without the fullness of the Spirit and without this ability. And they're just sitting, they're leaving an important part of being able to walk in the Spirit on the shelf. They're leaving a valuable piece of equipment on the shelf. Identify with his power and ability by receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the ability to speak from your spirit in your God-given language. I mean, I think all of us here are spirit-filled. 
potentially. If you're not, you need to get spirit-filled. Hallelujah. And it's not saying you don't have the Holy Ghost inside of you. He's in there. Every bit of him's in there. But it's you identifying with the power that's resident therein and allowing this language to be brought forth to give you the ability to, for your spirit to pray the utterance of God out without your mind involved in the process. Hallelujah. And then by doing that, putting the focus on your inner man and bringing the focus of the squeaky wheel down. Okay? So the language is important because it facilitates a communication from both your spirit and soul in their own unique voices. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 14 says. It says in verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. That's what we were talking about, praying in the spirit. But my mind is unfruitful, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. But I will also pray with my understanding because that's what, how my mind is fruitful. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. So we see that both voices need to be involved in the process of prayer, of worship, of everything you're doing. They should be unified. The number two practical lesson for getting your spirit and soul to work together. First one is pray in the spirit till your mind begins quiet down. Number two, meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. I know that sounds religious, but I'm going to tell you, give you a perspective that might break some of the religion, religious crust. I mean, the word of God I've taught many times, CJ, everyone's taught it's spiritual food. If your spirit first, which you are, your spirit has to eat just like your flesh, just like your soul does. And what do you eat? It's the word of God. Hallelujah. That's your spiritual food. If you're, if you're going to try to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, you better develop your spirit. And development means nourishment. I don't know anybody that sets forth to run a marathon and doesn't eat right. Or sets forth in any kind of an athletic endeavor. Brother, you were a pro football player. Did you have to mind your P's and Q's on what you ate? If your body's going to perform right, you better believe it. Same for the spirit, folks. Why does it we look at it any different? It's no different. If we're not eating, it's little wonder we don't have an ability to leverage any faith in a position of prayer or worship or anything else we're doing. Man, my goodness, we've got to feed our spirits. So meditate on the word of God because it's your spiritual food and it's the substance for the spiritual growth and energy. Number two, it's it, how do you meditate? Because we said meditating on the word of God. This is practical lesson number two. How do you meditate? Well, if you look at Joshua 1.8, it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Man, I like that. Anyone want to be prosperous and successful? It says right there, that's God talking to Joshua, and he says, if you want to be prosperous and successful, keep this book of the law in your mouth. Meditate. If you look at the word meditate, it comes from the original language that doesn't mean just to think about. It means to mutter it. Mutter means to speak over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, to roll it around, to speak out to mutter the word of God. So really, meditation means muttering the word of God. It doesn't mean just thinking about it. It means speaking it out. 
breaking it down, letting your spirit of God by the Holy Ghost break that scripture down. And I've done that before. I've demonstrated that before, uh, before you all. I don't have time to do that now, but that's a very, very important thing. Speak it over and over. Let it roll around in your being. The Holy Spirit, why is the word important? Because the Holy Spirit leads us in truth and knowledge. So you have to be in the truth to be led. If he leads from a perspective and tangent of truth and knowledge, if you're not in the truth, how's he going to lead you? And guess what the truth is? The word of God. The word of God. So this will quiet your mind as well. Listen to what Psalms 119, 165 says. Great peace have those who love your law. You want peace in your, in your mind and peace in your soul? Have a sincere love for the word of God. Meditate on it. Feed upon it. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Man, that's a tremendous, tremendous verse. Talking about getting your mind and spirit to work together, and this is a way to make it quiet. This is a way to bring peace. Meditate on the Word of God. And meditating is not just thinking and going, mmm. It's actually reading that Scripture. It's actually reciting that Scripture. It's actually speaking that Scripture to the place that you have done it over and over. You've applied it to the place that eventually at some point in time, your spirit will eventually, it'll come from a tangent of rhema and revelation and not just rote memorization. It'll come, it'll become an engrafted seed, like James says. And when that happens, that's when Rhema has been born. And guess what? Faith will be born because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Rhema of God. That's when you'll be able to speak the word of faith and move the mountain. Oh my goodness, I've got to not get off on tangents here. Okay, so here's, here's point number two. Being led by the Spirit does not involve pressure, but peace. It does not involve pressure, but peace. I've learned many times uh, uh, to know the difference between my inward voice and being led by the Spirit of God based on just this right here alone. If I feel pressured in it and I can't get clear of the pressure, and there's, and I'm talking about in, in here, there's just something grinding me this way from a pressure situation, that's not God. God ain't into pressure. He's into peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's not the Prince of Pressure. Hallelujah. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God and the peace of God, which transcends your understanding. Do you need something to transcend the feebleness of your limit, limited soul? Well, that's what this is. This means something that will go above and beyond that. You need that. And guess how it comes? It comes by you not being anxious, but by presenting your requests to God with thanksgiving. And allow that peace of God to rise up over that mind and guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's not into pressure. He's into peace. Hallelujah. And he leads by that. Now, I'm not telling you that There'll be a resolution all the time of peace between your heart and your soul. You go by peace here, not here. You can have a storm of confusion going on here, but peace here, and it's going to work. As long as you're following this and there's peace here, that's what you're looking for. Hallelujah. Your mind just comes along for the ride. A lot of times it's slow to to gain perspective. But you keep on walking out what you know in here. 
So notice that it's the peace that passes understanding. Therefore, that peace cannot originate from your soul. It can't be a peace that's come from your mind or from knowledge. It transcends or surpasses that. That's what the scripture says. So it has to be a spiritual process there, Philippians 4, 6. And that peace actually in the original language means that it serves an active role in keeping watch over your soul, like an umpire calling the shots in a game. That's what that piece does. It says it guards your heart and mind. So again, it can't be of the mind if it's doing that. I'm talking about a spiritual process here. So again, God is not into pressure. Number three, being led is not being idle. These are the point, these are the multiple points of Greg's point, practical points of being led. We're to point number three now. Being led is not being idle. While you wait to receive and or confirm the inner witness, okay, and there's a process of waiting, and while you're waiting to confirm that, walk in the light of what you now have, what you now know to do. Don't just sit there. You know you have light to walk now. Walk in that light until you receive the lamp on your path to, to, look, to know where you're headed to. Hallelujah. He's a light into the words, a light into my feet. So you see where you're at is a light into my path, lamp into my path. That's see, that's where I'm going. And you're waiting for the lamp into my path so I can see where I'm headed. But guess what? Walk in the light of what you can see right now until that lamp shows the path ahead. Don't be idle. Being led is not being idle. Be a doer and not just a hearer only. Okay, and so then the last thing I'm going to talk about here, practical points of being led, God can speak to you through other people as well. But I'm going to give some massive perspective from my my own personal viewpoint in this. You know, a minister that I have such a tremendous respect for led in the spirit of things of the spirit of God, tremendous man of faith, born out by, by works, not just by, by preaching, but, but by testimony. You know, he, uh, well, let me just go on here. So the bottom line is you always look here over any other voice, folks. Can I, can I just say that? That this voice, what you have in here is the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says there are many voices in this world and none without signification. Lots of voices speaking. Lots of th- frequencies to be received. This is what you have to train your ear to hear. Above and beyond and to go to first. This is your go-to first place. And I think people are a wonderful instrument through which God can speak, but they're also a detrimental instrument. And so many people have been led astray because here's the reason why, and this is what I was going to say a while ago about this minister. He always had a saying, everybody's looking so much for the spectacular and they miss the supernatural. 
And the spectacular is looking for the fireworks and looking for the words and the prophetic utterance and looking for people to lay hands on you and looking for all this kind of stuff, but yet ignoring the supernatural of the inner voice and the Holy Ghost inside of you, the co-witness that's there all the time. And you're not looking to that. You're looking outside to other voices. And some may be right, but you got to be careful because some are wrong. And man, you'll be accommodated by the wrong encouragement, or the, I mean the wrong word. So here's the deal, folks. God can speak to you. You can uh, hear the voice of God through other people, but it should always confirm and not lead you. It should always confirm something you already know, something that seems right in here, and not lead you. Prophetic words should always do three things. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification means to strengthen. It means to build up. It means to promote another's spiritual growth. That's edification. So a prophecy should do that. Or it should exhort. That just means simply to encourage people. So there should be a building up. There should be a strengthening. There should be an encouragement. Or it should be comforting. It should bring calmness. It should bring consoling. That's what it says. That's what Paul said under the utterance of the Holy Ghost to First Corinthians or to the Corinthians church in First Corinthians 14. He that prophesies speaks unto those three things. So here's the next thing about prophetic. No prophet or person moving in the prophetic gift is controlled by the spirit capital S beyond their own authority. In other words, we are not puppets walking around down here that when we submit ourselves to the Holy Ghost, he just comes upon you and you have no ability in the matter to to make a difference or control. But yet a lot of people will look at people and think they come under the influence of the Holy Ghost to this perspective that when they say, thus saith the Lord, that they're opening up their ears to hear the very voice of God. Be careful about that. Folks, I'm in a position of leadership here. I'm not in a position of condemnation. I'm in a position of concern for the flock. I'm in a position along with my pastor and the elders and leaders of this church that don't want people to be led astray. Amen, Pastor CJ? We don't want people to be led astray. We don't want people to, be, to go into the ditch. No prophet or person moving in the prophetic gift is controlled by the Spirit beyond their own authority. 1 Corinthians 14.32, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. So their spirits, little s, are subject to their control. They don't come under a leadership to the perspective that they become possessed and they're doing things that they don't have control over. And so that, so you see what I'm saying? So that, that's a pure word when that happens and you should receive it regardless of what's going on in here. No, 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 no. People have control over what they're saying. Don't be convinced or lend credence to thus says the Lord just because they say thus says the Lord. It's really best, in fact, I think to avoid thus says the Lord unless the unction is particularly clear and decisive. And I've had those unctions. And even so, I don't, re- you'll, I don't know if you'll ever hear me say, thus says the Lord. It's usually, I feel like the Lord's telling me, I feel like, and you know it's always, and it's even not a feeling, it's a perception. And I'll say, I perceive the Lord's direction here. I feel like this, I think this. See what I'm saying? 
That means that I'm giving way to the potential for me to muddle this up because guess what? I have this treasure in earthen vessel. And there's dirt, dirt that this earthen vessel is made of and it can dirty things up. Prove all things by the word of God. I'm telling you right now, folks, that's good lesson to live by. I don't care. Everything that we've said, everything that I've said, prove it by the word of God. I challenge you to prove what I say by the word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you come and tell me about it. You come and tell me about it. I don't want to say things that aren't the word of God. I know that uh, the other brothers here don't want to say things that aren't the word of God. Prove everything. So here's the deal, folks, okay? I'm giving you practical lessons here from Greg. If it doesn't line up, forget it. If whatever it is, whether it's a word from a person, whether it's something you read in a column, or whatever it might be, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, forget it. If you can't find readily, though, that it doesn't line up, in other words, what you hear what you read, whatever, something on the inside of you is not necessarily grinding you about it, but yet you don't understand it and you haven't seen a word to confirm that, well, then maybe that's a time to put something on the shelf, not necessarily throw it away, but put it on the shelf and allow the Holy Ghost to bring it back to you when you're at a place to receive it. That's This is good practical lessons, folks. Good practical lessons. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Everybody say, prove all things. Say it again. Prove all things. So there it is right there, folks. We're ta- I'm talking about proving all things. You prove all things. Don't despise prophesying. Man, we got to have that. We need words of edification, exhortation, and comfort all the time. We need that coming forth. It builds people up. It encourages them. It comforts them. We need that utterance. Hallelujah. But what we need is, is to, to make sure that you're always listening here. Always listening here. So whenever I'm speaking, Pastor CJ speaking, whether anyone gives up and gets a word, whatever they say, just always be, always be checking in right here. And if something goes, then, you know, eat that. Now it could go right here and nothing here. And that gets to where I'm talking about, where maybe you need to put it on the shelf till you're at a place that you can receive it. Y'all see that? But if it's going in here, be careful. Listen to that inner voice. First Corinthians uh, 14, 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. There it is, folks. We need to prove all things. And when the prophetic utterance comes... Prove it out by your inward voice, by your inward man, by the Holy Ghost inside of you. So here's what it comes down to. Yes, the Holy Ghost can speak to us through other people, and he does. And he has spoken to me wonderfully to other people. It's always been confirmational, though. It's always confirmed something that that inside I'm like going, you've been trying to tell me that, God. (laughs) Or you have been telling me that. Yes. Thank you, God, for the confirmation. Yes, yes. I'm so grateful. And I've gotten some wonderful confirmations where you're just like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
I mean, I, Ken Hall said something back in an ELT one time, and it liked to take me to my knees because it was just, it was a word I needed to hear because it's the whole time the Holy Ghost has been telling me, working me on that. And when he spoke it, it was like God standing there. I tell you, it was like God standing there talking to me. It was just like God, and it was God talking to me. Y'all see that? But guess what? My spirit's sitting there going, oh, yes, this is exactly what you've been trying to tell me. And it's just confirming me through a voice that didn't know nothing about what was going on in my life. Isn't that awesome? Wonderful impact. Hallelujah. But here's the deal, folks. Don't seek to be led by prophetic words. Do not seek to be led by that. That's looking for the supernatural or looking for the spectacular and missing the supernatural. Don't be, don't seek that. In other words, oh, I got to get me a word about this. I mean, I'm going to this conference because I need to get a word. I need to go over here to this minister because he moves in the prophetic. I want to get a word. And I'm not saying every single one of us sitting here have thought that's entered your mind. It's like, oh man, I'd like to get a word from the brother or the sister, you know. But you know what? The bottom line is, it's fine if you get a word, but don't go like seeking it. It's like, like in other words, to the ignorance and to the, to the, to the, uh, um, to the deafening of the, the inner voice. In other words, you've turned your, a deaf ear to the inner voice and you're going to that voice. You see what I'm saying? Be careful. Be careful. Be very cautious. So seek to be led inwardly first and foremost, and then let the words come as the Spirit wills, not as you will trying to seek them out. Hallelujah. Be very cautious concerning personal prophecy. Be very cautious. I can't say that enough. You know that, that people have, have told people, thus saith the Lord, you're to marry this person, and they marry that person, and they're divorced in two years. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to be pregnant next year, blah, blah, blah. And then they don't not only get pregnant, they never get pregnant the rest of their life. I mean, it's just all this stuff. And it wrecks people. It wrecks them, folks. It's not good at all. Be careful. Be cautious about personal prophecy. Don't just receive things indiscriminately without checking the inner man. Always check for the co-witness. Is there a co-witness? So with what someone said, is there something inside going, yes, that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, I attest to that. I agree with that. You see what I'm saying? That's the co-witness. So again, if it goes against your inner witness, don't receive it. Simple truths here, folks. If it goes against your inner witness, don't receive that word. Throw it in the trash can, (laughs) you know? But if it doesn't bear witness for or against, then put it on the shelf and know that the Holy Ghost will bring it to your remembrance and edification if and when the time is right. Okay? Okay, praise the Lord. I don't know why I spent so much time on that, but I think it's just, in, I think it's good counsel. Before you, and, before you and God, my heart is clear on that. It's good counsel. And you don't want people to be led astray. And, you, and, and here's the most important thing. Never, ever, ever, ever seek for any lesson and leadership of God outside of the resident Holy Spirit within you. First, that's where the Holy Spirit's at. He's right here. And we should look inwardly first and foremost. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. Well, I hope you got some good practical lessons on how to be led by the Spirit. I could have went on for a whole year teaching about this. But, you know, such is life and such is times. And, you know, we're going to go on to something else, take a break. And we'll see where the Holy Spirit uh, leads us uh, when we come back from the covenant group period, the 10-week period, and see how, see how, see what our inward man is leading us to at that point in time. So we'll just thank God for the word, and, and then I'll let you go with eight seconds left. <laughs> Father, thank you so much. God, our endeavor is to know you is to, to, to know as we're known, Father God. Because when we get to that place, oh my goodness, Father, we'll walk above the circumstance. We'll walk in the kingdom. Hallelujah. To know as we're known, to walk where we are actually positionally seated with Jesus, and that is in the, on the throne next to you, oh God. Hallelujah. Seated in heavenly places with our master, Jesus. Thank you, oh God, for the precious word Thank you, O oh God, for the precious, awesome, holy spirit that we have inside of us who leads us into these truths, who leads us into a process through our spirit of illuminating our minds and not this knowledge that we need that renews our mind. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, for, for taking this word, O oh God, and, and, and implanting it in people's souls. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing it to our remembrance. In those moments, Lord, when it's time, that counsel of the, of the Holy Ghost will come up in us and say, you remember that lesson? You remember this moment? You know, help us, Holy Spirit. Forgive us for when we've turned the deaf ear to you. Oh, Father, forgive us for when we've ignored your Holy Spirit, that unction inside of us. Help us to be quick and tender to that inner voice. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, praise the Lord. We'll see you next time. Same bat time, same bat channel, but 10 weeks down the road or better. (laughs) 